0: Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Greenlight Bookstore. Through knowledgeable staff, curated book selection, community partnerships, and a robust e-commerce website, Greenlight combines the best traditions of the neighborhood bookstore with a forward-looking sensibility and welcomes readers of every kind to the heart of Brooklyn. Learn more and shop online at greenlightbookstore.com. And we're brought to you by Literary Youngstown, a literary community proud to support beginning and experienced writers who seek to hone their craft, foster understanding, and share and publish their creative work. Read, write, and tell your story at lityoungstown.org. I'm Anne Marie Kelly. Welcome to Wild Precious Life, a podcast about dreaming big and making real connections. In each episode, I talk to prize-winning writers, musicians, and entrepreneurs who teach all of us how to make the most of the time we have. Have you ever re-met someone? You know, maybe you were introduced once and maybe became acquaintances, but only later became friends? I first met today's guest, Sun-Yen Shang, nearly 30 years ago. We were college neighbors. We passed one another in the halls and said, hey, what's up? Again and again end again, but we never really moved past that. It was not until decades later, after careers and children, we both have two girls and a boy, that we re-met. And I could not help but feel surprised by all the time we had missed. Sun Yen is generous, energetic, and brilliant. And she's been writing lately about superpowers, those attributes in each one of us that are awesome and amazing but that because of our blind spots, we often fail to see. Her solution? We have to name other people's strengths and tell them what we admire in them. When we see superpowers in others, then they can help us see our own. So my guest today is Sun-Yen Shang. As an executive coach and advisor, Sun-Yen helps leaders reimagine possibilities and build resilience for the future. She is the executive director for the Coach K Center on Leadership and Ethics at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and a professor at the Pratt School of Engineering. Sun Yin was recognized by Thinkers 50 as the world's number one executive coach. And she has been an advisor practically everywhere, from Google to the military. Her thought leadership writing has appeared in Forbes, Fortune, The Wall Street Journal, and CNN. She is a LinkedIn top 10 influencer, and the author of The Launch Book, Motivational Stories to Launch Your Idea, Business, or Next Career. She is also my friend. Sunyan Shang, welcome to Wild Precious Life.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so great to be here. And really, the only thing that anyone needs to really know about me is, one, I'm a mom. I'm mom to three kids. That's like my number one. I'm a mom first. And then two, my mission in life is to enable greatness in others. But Anne Marie, I wanted to do this because I'm a guest, so I can say anything I want. Okay, listeners out there, Anne Marie, yes. I've known Anne Marie since college. And I just remember the first few times I met her, we are dorm mates. And I just thought, wow, she is so cool. Like, she's so witty, she's so smart, and she's so sure of herself. Like, this is one of the coolest people that I've ever met. And then I got to know Anne Marie, and you know what? She's even cooler than what I previously imagined. So I'm like so happy to be on here with you because every conversation with you just leaves me with the biggest smile.
0: Oh my gosh. Yan, you're not just a, <laughs> a guest, but you're now officially a sponsor of the show. So we're just going to record that back and we're going to play it at the top of every hour. I also might just keep it in my pocket and have like the Sanyan oh. in my pocket on those days when I'm low. Oh, you're so darling. It is true. We met, I feel like we've met a number of times, right? We mm-hmm. met- when we were in college and then I feel like we've re-met mm-hmm. as adults and as moms and now as fellow podcasters out in the world. And I love the idea that our journey wasn't finished in the four years yes. that we knew each other as undergrads, yeah. that we had more work to do together. Um, but that actually introduces um, something I want to ask you, uh, which is just a opening question is I know you, but a lot of our listeners don't. So can we start with my favorite opening question, which is what is your heart story?
1: I think it's one that is transformed by failure. And it's uh, still one where I'm discovering myself and what value I can add to this world. But it's also one where I love discovering the awesomeness in people. And so I guess summing it up, it's about failure, not defining me. And it's about constant discovering of self and what we can add to this world. And then discovering the awesomeness in others as part of that journey.
0: That's so wonderful. I've heard you say that you have a personal mission statement and you mentioned it just now, but would you say it again? Yeah. My personal mission in life is to enable greatness in others (laughs) Okay. So that's so awesome. And I don't think I've ever been called upon to think about my own personal mission statement. You know, I've had to sit in on curriculum councils or advise schools on what our mission statement is. Um, But I've never thought about that for myself. I know I try to look at people and help them feel seen. Yes. I know I, I know I believe everyone is worthy of dignity, love and respect. I know I love storytelling because I want people to know they're not alone. But I think after this I'm going to work on putting that into a mission statement because I never have done that before and I'm inspired by the way you encapsulate your you-ness in that statement.
1: Well, I think the three beliefs you laid out actually are core to the expression of your mission statement, right? You help people be seen. It's about stories. But the other thing that I recently heard from, uh, there was a session I was in with Representative Congressman Andy Kim, and he was talking about the one problem that he's focused on. His And I think about that as like, we're also driven by what's our defining problem that we're trying to solve, right? And his was how to prevent the preventable deaths. What are the problems that we just always come back to? I see the best in... People. And so, how do I chip away at everything that isn't? That's enabling their greatness
0: to shine, right? Andy Kim's good people. I'm glad you mentioned him. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about true contentment being outward bound, like we look outward from ourselves to find joy. But I also know, like, the day in and day out realities of being tugged in a million different directions because you're so generous must also be exhausting. Um, You and I probably exchanged a dozen messages just to be here at the same time today. Um, Do you ever feel pulled in too many directions? And how do you cope with that? I do. I do. And um,
1: the one thing that, one of the things I'm most afraid of is letting people I care about down or not, not keeping a promise, big or small. I had one of those days recently where I was just feeling completely overwhelmed. And then I thought, you know what? Those things, let me just park it for a second. And then we just go bake a chambella cake because I want to bake something lemony <laughs> for my kids, right? And I know how, I know the chambella recipe. It's one of my favorite recipes. It's super easy. Like just look it up, like few ingredients, super easy. But you, the key is to have a really pretty blunt pan. So it looks like fabulous. So I went and I baked because that's when I feel like, oh, I'm being a I'm being a good mom and I'm you know feeding my family because sometimes me they may not always get fed right in the craziness. Let's keep it real here. And um, and so I did and I baked. I was feeling like a Food Network TV star because this cake these cakes look so good and I had like and I sprinkled um the dusted the powdered sugar on top of them. And then, um, my kids ate, ate, uh, ate a piece and they came back and like, Hey mommy, like in my all food network TV stardom, Hey mommy, um, I think you put sugar, you put flour instead of powdered sugar <laughs> <laughs> on the top. And it's like, you just gotta, but they taste them yummy anyways. And then those moments you're like, okay, whatever else, you know, the to-do list, like this, this matters. And this is what gives me the energy and this laughter and this time of togetherness is what gives me the energy to go back and tackle that to-do list. And people, and people have been so gracious, right? People, so we have to learn to forgive ourselves and just be as gracious to us, ourselves as others have been to us.
0: I mean, don't you feel that way? As a, Well, so I, I have these two different competing ideas. Like the one is, More emails come in. So I need to stay up later or get up earlier. I need to like, you know, I'm 27 emails behind. I'm 35 emails behind. Like you just get buried right under the work. And I think I have this instinct, which is just like, all right, you got to try harder. You've got to do more. You've got to. And what I hear you saying is actually, if you know you're not going to catch up anyway, if you know that you're just buried under (laughs) a mess today and you're feeling overwhelmed by it, Stop. Step back. Seek out yes. joy. Take a break. Bake a cake. Find find what matters. In this case, right, your kids <laughs> and their. Um, another guest called it like their warm, buttery goodness, and just be with them because that pile of email yes. it wasn't going to get done today. <laughs> Try it tomorrow. You might be able to tackle it after some a belly full of cake and be in a better in a better place, and it might seem more doable.
1: Well, Anne Marie, I think so much of the battle is psychological, right? So we gotta find ways of recharging. We gotta find ways of recentering. And that's not by pushing. I mean, there are times when we do have to push through, but there are also times when we just have to say, you know what? I'm not in the right I'm not in the right headspace, right? And and I need to re-energize. So let me go and find the right headspace and be with be where it matters and make every moment matter.
0: No, that's so great. And to realize that we're not alone in the struggle. One of the things I've also heard you talk about on other occasions is is mentorship. Yes. That it is not your job to journey with your backpack alone all the time, that there can be other people helping you share your burden, helping you blaze the trail. Yeah. Um, your mission statement is really intimately related to the idea of mentorship and helping one another especially women thrive yes. on the journey. So can you tell us about one of your best mentors? Oh gosh there's so many. But I wanted to say something on that like there there was a
1: i and then others, right? In 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 what you just said in in terms of we want to help others. Like, you know, the being buried under those emails. Those emails are really about helping others and helping to make things happen investing in other people's success. And yet, why do we journey through life thinking we have to carry the backpacks purely on our own? Why are we being so selfish in not allowing others to invest in our success? They're allowing us to invest in their success and be part of it. Why are we being selfish and saying, oh no, I I, I can't ask them. Like we're, 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 we're robbing them of an opportunity to, of the joy of being a part of, our success, the way that we have taken joy in being a part of other people's success, right? And so that's like, that's something I wanted to share. But one of my favorite mentors probably what, is um, a woman named Frances Hasselbein. Oh, Frances, you don't have to spend a lot of time with her for her to make an impact. I met her, oh gosh, maybe 15 years ago. She started her formal career at age 56, and that is as a CEO of the Girl Scouts. And she turned around this 70,000 strong volunteer organization and tripled the diversity in such a way that the U.S. military then came calling to say, Miss H- no, Hasselbein, what can we learn from you? So she co-authored with General Shinseki, the Army's Be No Do Way, which is the leadership development model for the U.S. Army. And then President Reagan invited her to be you know, one of his cabinet uh, secretaries. And at that time, she turned him down. She's like, Mr. President, thank you very much, but the Girl Scouts still need me. Therefore, um, I, I, I have to turn you down, but can you host a luncheon on the White House lawn for the Girl Scouts? Because that's how she is. Uh, first woman <laughs> on the cover of Business Week. And she said, I would only do this if I can show um, some, some, some of the Girl Scouts around me. But she didn't want that moment alone. She, she took And she, she, imbi- she invited others into those moments, right? So that others can see, you talk about, you know, seeing others, Emery and part of your belief, like seeing others and making them be seen. She makes sure that others are seen. And, uh, she's 105 now and still gives talks on zoom. Her other thing she taught me is be an opener of doors for others.
0: And so, oh, you're such an <laughs> opener of doors. You're like, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's just so you. It's you I too. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I might walk through the doors that other people oh, open. No, I, I no, no. I mean, just you doing this podcast, this is a, I
1: know how, how much work goes into a podcast and you doing this, you're open doors for your guests, um, for us to share our stories and our ideas. And then, this is you sharing your generosity of spirit and sharing these ideas and your stories with the fo- the listeners out there. These are acts of generosity, Emery. You are an opener of doors for others, for sure.
0: Ah, uh, thank you, thank you, Sunyan. I'm working on accepting compliments. I that was on <laughs> on my list. So thank you. Um, I like that you mentioned uh, Frances Hesselbein because she, at 56 took on this leadership role and we we've talked about on this show before that it's never too late to be what you might have been. It's yes. never too late to pursue. We we sometimes we put time limits on our dreams and we don't we don't need to do that. But when I mentioned the word mentorship, I think sometimes people tune that out because they're like, "Well, I'm not a CEO. I'm not a business executive." Um, do I need a mentor, even if I'm just like a regular person? So can you make a case that mentorship could be for anyone who wants to grow and improve?
1: Yes. Yes. Because we are, our lives are so intertwined, right? And we all have things that we have yet to learn. And there's gaps in our experiences. And we need perspective. And so can't we, you know, and those, it. All the amount of reflecting in the world can't always get us there. We need
0: others, right? And it's more fun with others. When we think about our own blind spots, we don't always see our weaknesses, but we also don't always see our own strengths and gifts. Mm -hmm. We need other people to see those in us. Looking at you and, I mean, I would say it maybe a little bit differently, but I would say like Sun Yen, I don't know if you realize this, but one of your superpowers is seeing the greatness in other people. And you find it in everyone. Your belief in people and their capabilities is one of your superpowers. And I can say, like, I've been on the receiving end of your like laser beam jujitsu superpowers because I'll give you an example from the before times. Um, You and your team invited me to speak at a conference, right? It was a women's leadership conference. And my very first thought when I got your invitation was, well, I can't do that. I'm not really a leader of anything. I don't really have any wisdom to share. And so my first thought was no, but it was your faith in me. You seeing me that lifted me up and made me believe that I did belong on that stage because your truth became my truth and the way you saw greatness in me that I couldn't see for myself. So like one of your superpowers isn't just enabling others to be great, but like identifying it and believing that there is, Greatness in everyone. So I define superpowers
1: as those innate, instinctive, and inib- inimitable, haha, three eyes, strengths. And when we work on things that are our superpowers, it gives us energy, right? They're the things that we can't stop thinking about, like just naturally. But we also tend to discount our superpowers because um, somehow society's taught us to only value the things that are hard. And discount the things that come easily, and when things come easily, we discount them. When we think everyone else has them too. So the way to discover our superpowers is to invite others to share those with us. Someone says, "You did a great job." Okay, can you tell help me understand? I'm not fishing for compliments. Help me understand what is it that I did that made it that made it good, so I can replicate it. Can you you know I can you give me insight into what you're seeing are some of my superpowers? And you can ask close friends that because we never take the time to ask people that. We ask people so easily, where are our deficiencies and areas for improvement? We don't ask them that. And then the converse happens. Like uh, we walk, our society is focused on, you know, work on your deficiencies, not your proficiencies. And we, with your superpowers, Every it's so obvious to everyone. Like what your superpowers, you know, that, that, the speaking and the wisdom, the wit, all that is like among your many, many, many superpowers. But we we don't rush to tell each other that because we think, oh, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. Emery, of course, already knows that. So it's so obvious. I don't need to tell her. But what's not obvious might be your areas for improvement, right? And so to empower you, I, that's why I need to tell you, but the other things are obvious. Well, it's, that's not true. We also have to rush To tell each other, this is the reason why you're special. This is your you-ness. This is, as you so beautifully put it, this is what makes you, this is how you show up in the world and how you contribute. So this is something that you need to, you can double down on.
0: We forget to tell people because I just assume that everybody talks to strangers in supermarkets. And I just assume (laughs) everybody doesn't mind standing in front of people to talk and then I'll meet my husband who's like, why are you still in the grocery store? Who are you talking to? I'm like, oh, we met in aisle nine. She's a stay-at-home <laughs> mom. And he's like, what are you doing? Or just, and, and and so I'm always, I see my, what people think is a superpower as like a nuisance to my family, right? Because I'm just no. making friends wherever I go or talking to strangers and giving them my email. And they're just like, Mom. But I wonder sometimes if the superpowers um, that you have can be can be hard on your family, because I'm sure that yours probably are right this way that you open doors for everyone probably means there's a constant flood of folks on your front porch vying for your time. And your kids might look at that and say, Mom, um, so how do you how do you balance your superpowers with um, being a parent? Oh gosh. Um, I try to think,
1: I mean, as a parent, I hope to mom, these, this is my hope for my children. I'm looking at them because they're in the next room and there's three of them sitting together like three little <laughs> monkeys. My hope for them is that they, they understand what is it about them that makes them special. And it's part of this, our, our job as parents to help them discover that. And, um, and they can use those gifts to make a positive contribution to the world and live happy, fulfilled lives, meaningful lives. And so part of that balance is modeling for them, like the application of my superpowers as I'm discovering them in a way that's positive, uh, why I hope is positive to the world is that they will, they will see that and they will learn, they will learn that you know, for themselves too, because gosh, no one holds you accountable like a eight-year-old, right? <laughs> so we kind of walk the talk, you know? Um, so, and I think they see the joy it gives me. And I think it's important for them to just see that my work gives me joy.
0: Okay. So I feel like we've done this celebration of awesomeness, and that is totally true, superpowers. And I could also list 752 other accolades of yours because you're triumphant and amazing. Um, However, I I spoke to Rachel Simmons, who's another executive coach and and writer, and she also spoke about like the profound impact of sharing not just amazing stories about ourselves, but also sharing failures and, and roadblocks that that can change how you lead, change how you parent, change how you live when you share those vulnerabilities. That helps Forge connections um, didn't. So, can we share a failure story each of us?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, do you want, want to go, to go first, first, or do you need to think? Oh no, I know, I know the one <laughs> I want to share because okay, it, I'd love it, to it, hear one. It is a defining failure story, right? And and it's I don't think it's one you know about um, because I don't think I've shared it with you. Not not many people, not many of our cl- uh, classmates know about it. So I was that to set up the story. So you, you know, I was that kid who like never really got anything less than 96 you know in high school and um you know did well and came into duke on a uh, academic a full academic scholarship and i thought wow this is this is going to be easy and it wasn't and um the person the girl that used to get a's and then got b's and then instead of seeking out help what i did was i retracted and junior year I got a D and that costed me my scholarship and it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me it's still I think it's still the worst thing that has ever happened to me because it was a shattering of my identity my identity up to then was tied around smart as connected to grades right and so there was like this huge shame and then, of course, that killed, I, I thought I was on track to go into, you know, to apply to medical school that took away that option. And, you now the shame, the, the, just everything connected with it. But it was also, I'll tell you, it was also one of the best things that happened to me because when your identity has been pulverized like that, it makes you rethink every single assumption, right? And that's when I started thinking about, who am I? <laughs> Who am I? And um, and you know and it was really hard because I mean you we we know some of the similar people we were in the same same group, same dorm, I mean round table at duke. And it was really hard when I looked across at everyone else and they were they seemed so sure they were going off to like business school and medical school and law school or mckinsey or the investment bank or And here I was, and I had no clue what I was going to do my next year. And um, But it's all right, because that girl that used to plan out everything suddenly didn't have a plan. But that's okay, because I think when you have such a plan and try to stick to it, it prevents us from really planning for luck. And so I went on a medical missions trip to Honduras um, that year after college when I was working in a research lab. And that made me really curious about biomedical ethics. And then ended up in Georgetown, looking at working with Tom Beecham on his next edition of his book. And then at at AAAS, looking at the intersection of science, ethics, policy, and law, and discovering things about myself that I didn't think I could do or that I was potentially good at. Um, And then that just led from one thing to the other and it let down an unconventional path. But I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. Life can lead us in surprising ways.
0: There's so much I want to unpack about that story you just told. First off, you, you mentioned at the top of the show that your first impression of me was that I was cool. First off, totally wasn't but second off I get that we get these ideas about people my first impression of you was that you were too smart for me to be friends with because you were this (laughs) this like full scholarship kid at Duke and they only gave like two of those and and I was waitlisted right which is something I carried around with me for a long time I was embarrassed but it is so true that we equate like an A in algebra one then that leads to an A in Algebra 2. And that leads to an A in trigonometry. And then that leads to A in Calculus. We have this idea that success is a straight line trajectory. And that as long as you keep getting the A's and the next thing, that equals success. And then if you don't, that equals failure. And that there's nothing in between, right? We, especially high achieving kiddos, you you don't learn that. And so um, this idea of, of sharing failure stories first off with one another being vulnerable. Second, sharing those with our kids. Yeah. And, and so like sharing, sharing those failure stories, I think, um, knits you together and also helps you just like you said, you discovered your right path in, in and amid the rubble of what you thought was like crashing down on you. I have a similar one that I actually was thinking through the other day. I, am. Um, one of my favorite storytelling storytelling shows is this American life. I've been a listener for years. I was never courageous enough to pitch them but but not long ago a, a writer friend of mine, Julia, was on the show and she connected me with one of the producers who wanted to hear this story I had about it's kind of a silly story. I don't need to tell the whole thing right now, but when my husband and I were sailing for our honeymoon in um, in Greece we we um we we ran out of gas and, uh, we had to be towed to shore. And when, when, when someone tows your boat to shore in international waters, they can claim salvage over you. So it was like an act of piracy. Like someone rescued us and then owned the boat that we had rented. It was like just a huge, we ended up at a Greek police station watching Baywatch with subtitles. It was, it was ridiculous. But so anyway, the producer was interested in this story and I, I took the call. I was with my kids at the playground and I took the call and she didn't end up wanting the story. She went in a different direction. But what I took from that was that I was not a good enough writer to be on this American life. And I was thinking about this, like just the other day that as I look back on it, that that's not the, that's not the story, right? I took it as a failure. Anne-Marie, you're not good enough to be on NP, on, NP, on uh, this American life. When actually Anne-Marie, you were good enough to talk to a producer who was interested in your story, who that didn't end up being a good fit for, but what are you waiting for Yeah, to pitch her another story? Sometimes failure points you in the direction that you need to go, but you have to like get over the embarrassment or like get over the stung knee or the hurt pride. Um, The story I told myself was I was not a good enough writer or they weren't interested in my work. But looking back... I spoke with a producer and I was selling myself short, which again is a blind spot of mine that I'm just glimpsing right now, <laughs> is that rejection, I internalize rejection as being like about my identity mm. that is internal to me. When actually, you know, we have folks I would love to interview on in the podcast, but I only do a show every two weeks. So you know, I, I, I only have room for so many. So I'm when I tell people no or, or later, I'm not rejecting them, but I could see how if you internalize that. um, yes. One setback and you might give up, and that's something I need to work on. It's a blind spot that has only I found it in in that you know that failure.
1: There's a theme in what we're talking about here, which is the story we tell
0: ourselves about ourselves,
1: and that impacts, that limits, that can either help us soar or it can limit us. Right. So after that failure, um, the story I told myself for the next twenty years is. You are not, you know, look, you are not really smart. And then you were found out and therefore you're not smart. And that's the story I took into the room every time. We also have the agency to tell us a new story and we have to believe we are enough. We're more than enough. Because as you said earlier, Emory, like what you see in everyone is everyone has, worth. everyone has something extraordinary,
0: I'm thinking of the Carol Dweck mindset <gasps> research when you yes. said that you told yourself you weren't smart and, and that this idea that especially as girls raised in a time we were raised in, the idea was like, if you were you had an A, you were smart. And if you didn't, you were not. These ideas that that was a fixed identity, right? And yes. that we're, one of the things we're learning is that, oh, if you didn't get an A on that, it must be that you get to try a different way to, yes. to solve that problem or or that that. The idea of a growth mindset, I think once I once I learned that about myself, that that just because you didn't do it right the first time just means, (laughs) OK, great. I looks like I'm going to try something else that that can do spirit. Um, I do try really hard to instill that in my kids, that there isn't a right answer. There's just the answer that we're pursuing, that we're we're trying this. And if that doesn't work, we might try that. Um, what a gift it is to know those things now. I wish I had known those things then. But that's why we're sharing this, right?
1: Because I think, no, to be able to share this, but it's like, how do you get to the number five? Well, it's four plus one, five divided one. It's actually infinite ways. There's different ways, infinite ways of arriving at an outcome. And we just have to discover the one that is, where, in a way, because of our superpowers, the ones that, might be the easiest way
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so great I so I follow you on on various social media and recently I saw you um uh, a post about Ted Lasso so can we can we fangirl oh, for just yes! a minute about the tel- I mean I know this is yes. not like academic but can we just have yes. a moment of fangirling about the show Ted Lasso I don't oh. play soccer but um don't you find that that show is just sort of exactly what your heart needs right now yes
1: Yes. Okay. All right. So I remember I teared up after watching the first two episodes and they're short but impactful episodes because as I was watching by the end of episode two, I was thinking, wow, in a time when the world may make us feel foolish for believing in people or that um, kindness is weakness, or if, you know, if people laugh at you it's um, and you don't fight back, then you're like a loser. I mean, these are societal messages that are out there. Here's a, here's a show that's celebrating all those values of kindness.
0: For folks who've never seen it, it is absolutely worth your time. I'm not a leadership expert, but I couldn't help but notice that there are some lessons in there. Um, Ted and Coach Beard come from America to coach soccer in, in in England. And the first thing that they do when they get there is, is kind of nothing. Mm -hmm. They just sort of observe and diagnose, like they move their own desks together, but otherwise they're just, they're there to observe the team and to find the strengths that the team doesn't even know that they have. And to address those weaknesses as moments of opportunity. There's like a kid named Nate who, you know, it's his job to mix the sports drink and they, they look him in the eye. They believe he's worthy of dignity, that his opinion matters. Um, they're going to call him by his name and listen to what he, the ideas he had, that idea that there's no one in your organization who, who couldn't, um, be a contributing member. I, I just, I, that, that show makes me joyful. You're right. It makes me happy and sad, but ultimately makes me think in the, um, the goodness in, in just about everyone.
1: There's so many leadership lessons, um, I mean, just like that story you share about Nate, and then Nate comes up with a soccer play that works. Good ideas can come from everywhere. Best quote from the show, and it's a quote to live. I think this quote sums up the show, the Walt Whitman quote, be curious, not judgmental. No, that's so great.
0: Sun Yen also has, has, she's been on many, many podcasts, but you are hosting a terrific show right now about what it means to live. A life of significance. Tell folks about that.
1: Oh my gosh! So we just launched in July. We're releasing one episode every month because there's also what we want to do with this is also foster a movement, right? So life of significance is this past year and a half, especially, has made us rethink how we matter, um, what matters, and also hopefully have a more expansive view of who matters. My life of significance is about what are the tools we have at our disposal to be able to unlock because our legacy isn't in, in terms of, of um, our accomplishments. And I it's like that Jackie Robinson quote, it's by our impact on the lives around us. And everyone, we all have agency to be significant. The choice is ours. We want the audience to then turn around on social media and share who are the people who have been heroes in our own lives, right? Because they don't know it. They don't know about the impact they've made on our lives. It's so obvious to us. It's not obvious
0: to them. So let's give them a shout out. I think that's wonderful. I did catch your first episode and a thousand black girl books, which I believe was up to over 10,000 black girl books and beyond um, was an inspiration. And the idea that when people inspire you, let them know. And, and let that, um, not just paying it forward, but let inspiration travel and um, let the truth of, of what's wonderful about people um, be known and not just sort of kept kept to yourself.
1: I don't want to leave the show without letting you know, Emory, you inspired me and so many others. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just for being you.
0: Right back at you, my friend. All right. With that, this is going to seem sort of funny because there's no good transition. But we have multiple choice questions for you. So you just pick one. Um, dogs or cats? Cats? Coffee or tea? Oh, hard choice. Um, uh, I love
1: tea, but I'm really a, a coffee drinker.
0: <laughs> um, true story. I understand that. And not too long ago, I, I thought I would order what's called a dirty chai. Are you familiar with this yes. drink? It's chai tea with-, with a shot of espresso in it, because I thought, who needs to choose? Why yes. not have both? And I, with with the 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 humblest apologies to our dirty chai drinkers in the audience. That was one of the worst drinks I've ever had in my life. It was awful. You, you got to choose one or the other. You can't have them both. <laughs> um, okay, sorry. This is not my multiple choice. It's yours. Okay, so mountains or beach? Oh, mountains. Um, zinnias or peonies? Oh my gosh, I have both in my garden. <laughs> can't
1: choose. I know because they're in different <laughs> seasons. Zinnias are in the summer. Peonies are in the spring.
0: So you don't have to choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, early bird or night owl? Oh, night owl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but my are kids th-
1: are making me an early bird, and I, I'm I'm not happy about that. But night owl, totally.
0: I know. With children, it's like all of the night owls have to be early birds, Wait, too. Wait, are you a night owl, Emma? Oh, I haunt the house. <laughs> um, are you a risk taker, or are you the person who knows where the Band-Aids are? Oh, that's hard. Risk taker. I'm a mom, so I have to know where the band-aids are. (laughs) Um, Okay, now a few short answer questions. Who was one of your best teachers?
1: Dr. Elmore, Dr. Richard Elmore, history teacher. um, And he was also in high school. And he's also the, um, the faculty advisor for our academic team. And Dr. Elmore, just the stories he would share, he just has this zest for learning. And he, ex- he opened up our worlds to, he made stories of the past come alive and interesting. And and we have to, to understand ourselves. We have to understand our past, right? And so Dr. Elmore, amazing. Uh,
0: you gotta love a high school history teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my dad was a history teacher, so I, I absolutely, absolutely. What's one of your go-to songs? Go-to songs. Oh, there are so many. Um, like I
1: was listening to Cole Porter, you know, and like anything Cole Porter is just amazing. Um, oh, Les Mis, like anything in Les Mis is like a great go-to song, huh? There we go,
0: Lay Mis, song. I love Les Mis. <laughs> so, okay, so an aside, Les Mis is one of my favorites and <gasps> I saw my old high school choir and musical director. And so when I saw him a few years ago, one of his students had just sung a Les Mis song. And I was saying, Oh, I would have loved it. If we had done Les Mis in high school, would I have been more of a Cosette or an Eponine? And he took one look at me as like, no, no, no. You would have been the master of the house <laughs> oh <my laughs> or goodness, his which wife. Which is a cool role. Which is a totally cool role. <laughs> and at the time I was so mad because I'm like, really? everybody wants to be Cosette or Eponine, but, uh, but the idea that, um, you're the comic relief in the show, or you're the big funny number, or so I was like, <laughs> all right, I'll take it. But yes, Lamez is great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, what's a book or a movie you love? Um, all the light we cannot see. Um, right. That book, Anthony Doerr.
1: I just uh, I remember, you know, after being a like after being a mom and having your third kid, you just don't have a lot of time to read anymore. So, like honestly, I skim books now. But that book. Um, I just
0: couldn't put it down. I love that when a book can grab you by the heartstrings and just make you stay with it and almost catches your breath in your throat because you think you might know where the story is going, but you don't want to get there with it. But you're just, I I remember the experience of reading that book. I also think that title, All the Light We Cannot See, I think there's Mm. also um, a nod to, again, your superpower of seeing the light in everyone that other people cannot see it but that you do. So that makes sense for me that you would love that. Um, What's your favorite ice cream? Oh my gosh. Again, like so many different flavors. I was just at an ice cream shop like right
1: before this, Local Pops in Durham. And there were all these ice creams. So the one I just had was like, praline. it's whatever ice cream I'm eating at the moment. That's my favorite (laughs) ice cream.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, last one. If we were to take a picture of you, really happy. And doing something you love. What would we see you doing? Uh, me surrounded by my three
1: kids and my wonderful husband, and just laughing my head off about like something they
0: said. <laughs> That's it. I love that the the five of you laughing together. Yes. And I've been I've been lucky enough to actually see that snapshot, so I actually have that in my <laughs> in my imagination right now. Ah, Sun Yen Shang, thank you so much for spending this time with us here today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, uh, your generosity of heart and spirit. Thank you for inspiring me to look for the greatness in everyone I meet, especially as women, we can be too quick to tear one another down, but we can also lock arms and build one another up. Yes. I'm going to be on the lookout for that this week this month this year and for the ways that i can be an agent of positive change and not just see the superpowers in people but name them and help other people see them Yen, my friend and all of our listeners i'm wishing you love and light wherever this day takes you and until next time folks be good to yourself be good to one another and we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Eloia, producer Sarah Wilgrube, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.